Revelation 22. I encourage you to find your place there. Revelation 21 as well as we think about this subject, heaven. I want you to imagine you're, you're getting ready to take a bucket list trip and you're going to Hawaii. All expenses paid for about 10 days. It's going to be a great trip. You've never been before. What are you going to do in preparation for that trip? Here, imagine what happens. You're going to search the internet. You're going to talk with people who've been to Hawaii and they're going to say, what's the hotel like? You're going to see pictures and videos and to know your accommodations. You're also going to be thinking about what kind of food are we going to be able to eat in Hawaii? But you're also thinking, what kind of sights am I going to be able to see when I go to Hawaii for the first time? Bucket list trip. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth is we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And what do we know about the place called glory, about spending eternity with Christ? I encourage us that we have more conversations about heaven. At funerals, we talk more about heaven. Heaven is mentioned in God's word over 500 times. But many people have many, many misconceptions about what glory and heaven are going to be like. And in this sermon series, I want to walk through some of those. And today we talk about what should we expect when it comes to heaven. As believers in Christ, whether it's death or the return of Christ, we're going to spend eternity with him. And we're going to live with him forever and forever and forever. Dr. Billy Graham was asked one time, what is the biggest surprise you've had in your life? And here's what Dr. Graham said, the brevity of it. It goes by so fast. That's true for all of us. And so I encourage us, don't let life slip you by. Don't miss the most important things. Don't focus on the minors and miss the majors in your life. Uh, One particular gentleman one time etched on his tombstone said this, dead at 40, buried at 80. He just didn't know how to live life. I wonder on this Sunday how many of us could say the same thing. We just don't really know how to live life the way God wants us to live life. And I pray today we'll be able to see that. On on July the 2nd, 1989, Angie and I were in Atlanta, Georgia on that Sunday morning. And we had the opportunity to worship with, with a preaching model for me that I'd watched for years. And we were there on a Sunday morning. And by the grace of God, we were able to meet him after the service. And to our surprise, he said, I'd like for you, if possible, to come back this afternoon and meet with me in my office at 4 o'clock today. And we had no hesitation, so we were there way before 4. But we walk into his office and we sit down together. Ange and I are sitting on a couch and he's sitting in a chair in front of us. He asked us a number of questions about life and ministry. And then we were able to ask him some questions about life and ministry as well. And then before we left, he prayed for us. We took some pictures with him, but he said, I want to give you some books, but also I want to do this. I want to give you a word from God's word that will apply to your life, but also to your ministry. And I pray you'll live these verses out as you serve Jesus Christ. And I want you to write these down. Colossians chapter three, the verses that he challenged us with in the book of Colossians chapter three And here's what they say, and it's really about keeping your perspective on heaven, not on this earth. Here's what the Bible says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
He challenged those verses and we sought to live those out. I want you to write this phrase down. Not because the little boy said this, but this is true. Heaven is real. You need to know that. It's a real place as well. Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 3 says, I go and prepare a place for you. Heaven is a real place. The psalmist in Psalm 23 said, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a real place. Heaven is a real place. As we go through life, there are highs, there are lows in life. We have to navigate all those. Some were even trying to stay in the middle. I remember back many, many years ago, it was on a Friday. I was in New Orleans, Louisiana, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I was making my defense for my doctoral project. I was extremely nervous, didn't know how the day was going to go, wanted to pass, wanted to get this uh, assignment over with and move on in life. And, and so I'm meeting with this doctoral group, and they're asking me questions, and I'm giving answers. I'm prepared all that I know how to prepare. But that week, that was a high because I did pass. I did, did finish all that. But it was a tough week because there was a deacon that had served with me years ago, called me and said, my daughter, and I knew she did, works for a major law firm in Atlanta. She has tickets to the Masters on Thursday. She wants you and me to go together. It was a challenge for me that week. And so here I'm going to be in New Orleans traveling on Thursday to be there Friday morning. He's inviting me to go to the Masters, which at that time I'd never been before. And so what was I tempted to do? I was tempted to call those three professors and say this, do you need me to mow your yards for a little bit? Uh, do you need golf lessons? Do you want me to wash your windows? I'll take all of you guys out for dinner if we can just change the date. But I did not do that. That was a low that I had to say to him, I can't make the masters because another commitment on Friday morning. Highs and lows. As you and I think about this subject of heaven, I want you to know this. There are many misconceptions, many false teachings about what heaven is going to be like. And I want to challenge us in this sermon series over the next number of weeks that you would be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Paul was saying there that they, when he was teaching and sharing the truths of God's word, they were searching the scriptures every day to make sure what he was teaching was correct. First Baptist, have the spirit of those people in Berea. Open up God's word. Search the truths of scriptures. What is God saying about heaven, about our eternal home? Let's make sure we get what is true from conversations, from teachings, and even from Bible studies. Sometimes people ask questions about heaven, and here's some questions they'll ask. Uh, Will heaven be boring? Absolutely not. There's nothing boring about worshiping Almighty God. There's nothing boring about serving him and there's nothing boring about fellowshipping with the saints throughout the ages. Nothing boring about that at all. So some people ask, well, will heaven be like one long church service? And the answer is really no again. Because when you think about what heaven is going to be like here, and I love worshiping with God's people on Sundays and Wednesdays, other times as well. The church matters. The church is important. God has called us to fellowship and be together as the body of Christ. But here's what we know about heaven. In heaven, there are no worship wars in heaven. In heaven, there's no relational division at all. In heaven, there's no celebrity personality. And in heaven, there's no debate over the temperature in the room. It's going to be amazing in heaven, folks. It's going to be incredible. Then some people say this, well, will heaven be like just this one ending Christmas pageant? The answer again is no. 
And then some people ask the question, well, in heaven, are we going to sit on clouds and play harps and eat angel food cake? And the answer again is, is no. It's going to be so much more than that. But here's what I want you to know. You may want to write this down as well. The Bible says this, that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle and a war. We have an enemy. We have an adversary. And he's doing everything he can to deceive and divide us. But you have to know in John chapter 8, verse 44, the Bible says this, that he is a liar. Did you get that? He's a liar. So he's going to try to lie to you and me, even about what our eternity is going to be like in heaven. You may want to write this verse down, Revelation chapter 13, verse 6. Revelation chapter 13, verse 6, it said, It opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So the Bible is saying here that when we have an enemy, an adversary, he's a liar, he's lying about God, he's lying about heaven, and he's lying about the people of God as well. What are we, when we go to heaven, what should we expect? Now, I want to give you these five truths today from God's word about heaven and what should we expect. Number one, a holy city. We see in Revelation 22, the Bible describes here, it says this, that in the middle of the street of the city, what about the city? Revelation 21, it says this, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What is this about the holy city? Uh, let me ask you, New Orleans, Louisiana, is that a holy city? Uh, Las Vegas, is that a holy city? Clarksville, Tennessee, is that a holy city? I don't know. So wh- why is the New Jerusalem described as a holy city? And here's, here's why. It's because God is there and it's because Satan is not there. Makes it a holy city. As you and I think about this holy city as we see described in God's word, we're going to spend eternity there. You have to know this, in this holy city, there are no nightclubs in this holy city. In this holy city, there are no casinos present. In this holy city, there are no adult entertainment places in this city. In this holy city, there are no murders on street corners. There are no drive-by shootings. In the holy city of God, here's what we see. It is unending praise and worship because God is worthy to be praised and worshiped forever and forever and forever. That's the holy city. And so when you think about the holy city, it is a place of an ending celebration. In 2007, Ainge and I were in San Antonio, Texas, attending the Southern Baptist Convention. San Antonio, Texas, as you know, is home of the Alamo, but also of the Spurs. Now, if you don't know the Spurs, it's a basketball team. And so they were in town the same time playing for the national championship in basketball. Our, our hotel was on the river walk there in San Antonio, and we could literally look out and see their basketball arena right before us. And so that particular night, I think it was a Tuesday night, the Spurs won the game and they won the national title in basketball. Do you think people were silent about that? Bless God, those people stayed up all night screaming, blowing horns, celebrating a national championship in San Antonio, Texas. And so I stood looking out the window of that hotel and I thought if they can celebrate a national championship, God, us as your people, we need to be celebrating some things as the people of God. He said, well, what do we need to celebrate? You can write these down. Jesus Christ is alive. Let's celebrate that. 
Folks, today we know this. We're going to celebrate the Resurrection Sunday next week, but Jesus Christ has defeated death and the grave. He is alive. Let's celebrate an empty tomb and an occupied throne. Jesus Christ is alive. Let's celebrate number two. Jesus has rescued and redeemed our lives. You've got to realize at one time those who were lost, we were lost without Christ. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. But because of his sinless life, his shed blood, his burial in the tomb, his victory over the grave and death, Jesus Christ has saved us by his amazing grace. You have been rescued and redeemed. You'll never be lost again. You will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate that we have been rescued and redeemed in Christ. Hallelujah for that. Uh, Number three, let's celebrate that our reservation is guaranteed in heaven. I've coordinated a lot of trips in my life for church groups and men's ministry. I've had hotels mess up reservations again and again from Atlanta to Memphis, everywhere else. It is crazy what can happen in the hotel world. They'll mess up your reservation. But when you give your life to Christ... You turn from your sin. You put your hope in Jesus. He saves you, forgives you, changes your life for all eternity. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. I promise you this. Your reservation in heaven is guaranteed. Jesus will never mess up your reservation in heaven. You are saved and sealed and secured for all eternity. And then number four, here's why we celebrate. We'll see Jesus face to face. Can you comprehend that? I mean, I can't even hardly comprehend that to think the very one who took nails in his hands and feet, crowned the thorns over his head, crucified on a cross, pierced for my transgressions and my iniquities, one day I'm going to see him face to face. Why wouldn't we celebrate those truths? Jesus is alive. We've been rescued, redeemed. Our reservation in heaven is guaranteed and we are going to see the face of Christ. We should erupt with celebration on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah for that. So heaven, what are we going to expect? Well, one, we're going to expect a holy city. No sin, the Savior is going to be there. Number two, we should expect a beautiful place. Uh, Revelation 21. The Bible says this in Revelation 21, look in verse, uh, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates were 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. So he talked about this wall. You have to realize this wall that we're talking about in heaven, politicians aren't going to build it. Do you get that? Also understand that Mexico's not going to pay for it either. I mean, this is the work of God when it comes to this wall in heaven. And so when you look, you say it's a beautiful place and you see he goes on down in verse 21 and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Can you imagine how big that oyster must have been to have a pearl that's made one pearl with one gate? I mean, we're going to be in New Orleans in June at the Southern Baptist Convention. I I promise you, God willing, we're going to eat some char-grilled oysters. They're not going to be that big. And you say, well, how in the world could those gates be so big? What does that look like? Let me give you these words. Number one is pain. 
You and I are thinking about the pain. We think about these gates, these pearls, how big they must be. And you think about how do, how do we even get pearls anyway from oysters? It's because of an irritant, maybe sand, but those pearls are made out of pain. You and I are going to walk through the gate in heaven. You know why? Because of the pain of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to die on a cross. He died in your place and my place. We have been bought with a price. That is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't comprehend the pain of crucifixion, but he did that for you and for me, and he has paid your sin debt and my sin debt in absolute fullness. It's pain. Why? We're going to experience that. Uh, Number two is perfection. He goes on to talk about these streets, and he says the streets are going to be incredible, of pure gold, like transparent glass. I, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to see a street with no potholes in it. But, but in heaven, you're going to see a street that is absolutely made of pure gold. It's going to be perfect. Number three, it's prepared. When you think about a beautiful place, it's going to be a prepared place. That's what Jesus said in John 14. I go and prepare a place for you. We understand heaven here is going to be a place, a beautiful place. Now, J. Vernon McGee, many of you have studied his life before and his writings, and he says he's never met an ugly bride before in his life. And so I always encourage when I'm doing weddings with brides and grooms and so forth, I say to the groom, when you see your bride, cherish that moment. She is going to look so lovely when she walks into that door. I still remember seeing Angie for the first time that Saturday afternoon as well. And as you think about this, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband, he's preparing a place for us. It is prepared, but understand this. What is the most beautiful place you've ever seen in your life? I mean, you could share all sorts of stories with me. I think about that in my own life. I think, Lord, I've been able to see waves in Hawaii that were just overwhelming one afternoon, 30, 40-foot waves. Incredible to see that. Lord, I've also been able to walk the fairways of Amen Corner. Never would have dreamt of been able to do that. One of the most beautiful walks on a golf course you'll ever have in your life. Lord, I've been able to be at the Rocky Mountains and being able to see majestic snow-capped mountains. What an amazing sight to see. I can't imagine again the joy of being able to sit on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and understand that Jesus walked on this water and he calmed the storm here to being able to see that. Being able to sit on the the shore of the Sea of Cortez and have dinner one night with Angie. Thought I was having a big one that night because of the price of that dinner. It was crazy. Got mixed up on the price. But Lord, this could be it right here tonight. I don't know. But we survived that and here we are today. So many beautiful places. But I want you to know, whatever you would list in that, it fails in comparison to what heaven is going to be like. It is a holy city, but it is also a beautiful place. Number three, it's a safe environment. He goes on to say in Revelation 21, verse 25, and his gates will never be shut by day and there'll be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to ask you this morning, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life. If you're going to be in heaven, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And that means, again, that you understand how much God loves you. You've sinned against him. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, shed his blood for you and for me. The tomb is empty. Christ is alive. You turn from your sin and you put your faith and trust in Christ. As a result of trusting him, surrendering your life to him, he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. And no one will ever erase your name out of that book. Never. 
It's a safe environment. Number one, it's peaceful. When I think about here, he says in this passage, the gates will never be shut by day. There'll be no night there. And nothing impure, unclean will ever enter into it. It reminded me of growing up in a lot of ways. When I grew up, uh, we never locked our doors at the house. Uh, we, we, we always just left them open. The screen doors wide open. You just come in anytime you want to. We went to bed at night. Never thought about locking our doors. Uh, we had cars back in those days. You had keys. Some of you don't know what that is, but you'd put it in the ignition and you would turn it this way and the car would crank. Some of you don't know that. You just push a button now and do that. But at night, we'd leave our keys in the car. Anybody else with me? Do you ever do that as well? We'd just leave our keys in the car and no one ever stole their cars. We never even thought about someone stealing our cars. We dare not do that in our day and time. But it was a safe place. And here's what you have to realize when it comes to heaven. It's going to be a safe place for us. What peace there is for that. Number two, it's protected. When you think about heaven, we're gonna, it's going to be protected because the Lord is going to be there. When I think about heaven, here's the good news. The ADT company is going to be out of business because in heaven, you don't need security systems or alarms. You don't need that. In heaven, here's something else. Uh, you, you're, you're not going to need court systems because there are going to be no criminals. All the lawyers, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but you're going to be without a job just like as a preacher. I'm going to be without a job because we're going to be singing in heaven. But when you look at it, there's no jails because there's no convicts need to do anything like that. Heaven is going to be this incredible, safe, safe place because the Lord is going to be our protector. It's like this house one night was broken into. And there was a thief who came in. The lights were out. He knew no one was home. He's got a flashlight. He's shining it around, and he sees on the kitchen table an iPad. And so he picks it up. And when he picked up the iPad from the kitchen table, there was a voice that said, Jesus is watching you. And it scared the daylights out of him. But he didn't think anybody was home. And then this voice, Jesus is watching you. He turned around, shined his light, didn't see anything. Then he looked over on the kitchen counter by the sink and he saw some rings. And he went over there, some diamond rings, and he put those in his pocket. And the voice said again, Jesus is watching you. Scared him again. He shined the flashlight and he sees this parrot in a cage. And he said to the parrot, did you say that? And the parrot said, yes, I did. I'm trying to warn you. And the man started laughing and said, who in the world are you anyway? And the parrot said, my name is Moses. And the thief said, who in the world would ever name a parrot Moses? And the parrot said, the same guy who named an aggressive pit bull Jesus. <laughs> and so uh, pit bull's fixing to get that man. But here's the good news. Heaven is going to be a safe environment because the Lord is our protector. Can you imagine no crime, no thefts, no murders, no shootings? Can you imagine how safe heaven is going to be? I I was in a meeting this past week with the Tennessee Baptist Convention and they were talking about Woodmont Baptist Church, the, the reunification place for the shooting the other day in Nashville. They didn't get much lead wave. The police said, we're bringing the kids to Woodmont. Where do you want us to bring them to so they can be reunited with their families? And the pastor praised God for wisdom so that without any hesitation said, take them to the sanctuary. Because you know why? Because those kids and those families need to be in a place that's sacred and a place that's safe. Powerful.
What should we expect in heaven? This safe environment because Jesus is there. Number four, a relational Savior. A relational Savior. As you and I think about the Word of God, it says in this passage, He will, in, in Revelation 21, He will dwell with them and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. Our Savior is relational. First word I want you to write down here is glory. What an amazing thought this is that he is relational to you and me. When I think about John chapter 14, verse 3, what does that verse say? I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He's talking about an intimate relationship. That where I am, you're going to be there as well. We have a relational Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul, and we quote this verse at funerals all the time. What did he say? To be absent from the body is to be present with who? With the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 and following. Uh, what, what does Paul say here? And I want you to get his heart in this matter. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. And here's what he said. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You realize in all those passages, when you think about glory, heaven, a relational savior, I prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also, it's with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I desire to depart and be with Christ. It's not merely about streets and walls and gates. It's about being with Christ. Why? Because he's a relational savior to you and me. I can't wait to see the beauty of heaven, but I can't wait to see Jesus face to face either. What a glorious thing it's going to be. And I I can say this as well, like like you. I mean, I I can't wait to get to heaven and fellowship with saints throughout the ages. I mean, to have a conversation with Moses and David and Paul, and the list goes on and on. I can't wait to be reunited with believing loved ones again. So many of my family are in heaven today. I can't wait to be reunited with them. But as I stand here before you, I can't wait to see Jesus face face. What a glorious thing it's going to be. Number two, the word is grace. As I stand before you today, I'm just overwhelmed at the grace of God. When I think about spending eternity in heaven and I think about how to go there, we'll talk about how do you go to heaven next week, but it's the grace of God. A a young boy from, from Barron County, Kentucky, under the, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, sitting on our basement steps, turned from my sin and trusted Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and he gloriously saved me. I followed him in believer's baptism. And then of all the people on the planet, God would call me into Christian ministry and to serve him as a pastor and preacher. And then for God to give us opportunities literally around the world to share Christ with people and to see people come to Jesus, one individual or mass numbers of people. When I think about that, it's the grace of God in my life. And I think about the relational Savior. It's glorious, but it's also about grace. And then I get the thought of seeing him face to face one day. I can't even begin to comprehend that. 
Lord Jesus, I've lived my life to love you and to serve you and to make you known. And then one day, I'm going to see you face to face. What a glorious day. Number five, a diverse people. As you and I think about what heaven is going to be like, it's a diverse people. Number one, a global commission. When I think about what the Bible says for us as believers, he's given us a commission that we're to make disciples of all nations. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're to teach them to observe everything that he's commanded us. And he gave us this promise, and lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's a global commission. Church, I hope you know, and you know this, just like I know this, we are not in the property management business. We're in the Great Commission ministry. We're to get the gospel to as many people as possible around the world. It's a global commission. Number two, a redeemed people. When I think about heaven, I I go back to Revelation 7. This glorious truth in Revelation 7. And here's what the Bible says. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's what Palm Sunday was about. That's what heaven is going to be about. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One day, aren't you glad that heaven isn't just for Americans? I'm grateful for that. There's diversity in heaven. There's a redeemed people. And so as I think about that, God, I'll never forget my first mission trip to Chile, South America. There are going to be brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven that we served with. Russia, Africa, China, Brazil, Canada, Antigua, India, Dominican Republic, Cuba, places in North America. The list can go on and on and on. And I think, God, I'm going to spend eternity with those individuals who are brothers and sisters in Christ. A diverse people. One day I was in New Orleans and I had a meeting. And so before the meeting, I wanted something to eat. And so I went to Chick-fil-A in the mall in New Orleans. So I'm standing in line at Chick-fil-A in the mall in New Orleans. And back in those days, sometimes Chick-fil-A would bring out kind of a tray of nuggets and they would give you a sample of that. So I'm standing in line to to give my order. And the lady from Chick-fil-A comes up with a tray of nuggets from Chick-fil-A. And she asked me if I wanted one. And naturally, I wasn't going to say no. Hallelujah, I want one, maybe two, you know, if that's the case. But then here's what I asked the lady, and she didn't have any idea how to respond. I said, the question I've got to you, why are you giving me a free sample? She said, well, why wouldn't we? I said, well, I'm already in line. I'm a customer. I'm getting ready to order. What about all these people in the mall who are walking by? Why don't you give them a sample, and maybe they'll get in line? I'm already convinced. I'm going to order food here at Chick-fil-A. She didn't know what to say when I said that. (laughs) But then it's like the Holy Spirit just whispered into my heart and mind. As a church, are we already trying to reach the already convinced, the already believers? Or are we trying to reach people who don't know Christ? May you and I reach people who don't know Christ because they need forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, and the promise of heaven in life as well. Dr. R.G. Lee, one of the great Southern Baptist pastors, 
near the end of his life, Dr. Adrian Rogers and Dr. Billy Graham visited him one day. Can you imagine a pastoral visit from Dr. Rogers and Dr. Graham? But R.G. Lee, they were having a conversation. In that conversation, they started talking about heaven. And here's what Pastor R.G. Lee said, an incredible pastor and preacher about heaven. He said this, I never did it justice. It's so great. Some things we can only imagine. I want to ask you today in the room and those who are watching, do you know without any question, without any reservation that you're going to spend eternity in heaven? Do you know that? I want to encourage you if you don't know that, I wouldn't procrastinate, I wouldn't delay, I would surrender your life to Jesus Christ at this very moment. Say yes to him. He loves you. He lived a sinless life. He died in your place and gave his life for you. The tomb is empty. We have victory in Jesus. You can be saved, forgiven, and assured of heaven today before you walk out of this room or log off your computer or whatever you're watching on. How do I do that? Well, you turn from your sin. You call on the name of Christ who is your Savior, and he will save you and forgive you and redeem you. Maybe you need to follow Mr. Smith's example today and be baptized because your baptism wasn't in the right order. You've given your life to Christ and now you need to be baptized as a believer in Christ. Maybe you need to walk down one of these aisles and join the fellowship of this church and to say, yes, I'm going to be in heaven, but I want to be a part of this congregation. Maybe God's doing something else in your life as well. And you need to respond today to one of our prayer team members, one of our staff members and say, I've got to get this right in my life before I walk out of here today. Come as the Holy Spirit leads you. And and as as we're going to sing about just give me Jesus, he is the one we need today. We need Jesus. Let's pray together today. And then we're going to stand together and sing. And I encourage you to respond in the room or those who are online. Lord Jesus. Thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you that you rode into Jerusalem on a donkey so you could give your life for us and that we could be forgiven and have salvation and assurance of heaven. So I pray in this invitation, Lord, that this altar would be filled with people who are making decisions to say yes to Jesus. Say, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Because Lord, again, remind us how uncertain and fragile life is. We've seen it firsthand this week. We've wrestled with it this week. And Lord, if there's a Sunday that we should not procrastinate or delay, it would be today. And so, Father, I pray that decisions will be made for your glory and that lives will be changed in this invitation as we think about heaven. What a beautiful place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Church, we're going to stand and sing, Give Me Jesus. Our staff's going to be here prayer team's going to be here. You come this morning as we stand together and sing. Obey the leadership of the Spirit as we sing together.